Please pray with me. Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O God, our strength and our Redeemer, we pray. Amen. All right, so I had a brief flirtation with a bread-making machine back in the 90s. I mean, who among us of a certain age didn't? My guess is that my wife Lynn compassionately donated it somewhere at some point to protect me from myself. At the time of my experimentation, I was convinced that I could make that thing work. Technology could help me be something that I really wasn't, and that was a baker. I tried several recipes. A couple of loaves came out of the machine edible. A couple of them made pretty good doorstops. But it did get me thinking about bread. I appreciated the whiff of childhood memories that it gave, even if it was just a hint. I remembered one of the most precious and comforting smells of my childhood, of bread baking in the oven in our kitchen, of sneaking a little taste of the raw dough, of those tiny cinnamon rolls my mother would make wrapped in circles from the leftover dough. They were so good. But the bread-making machine went the way of all flesh, and I ended up going back to the store to buy my bread. Then all of the newer complications of bread came into view as someone in my family manifested a gluten intolerance, and a doctor told me that it might be a good idea for me to stay away from modern wheat. So in came rice breads and millet breads and spelt breads and yeast-free breads and almond flour and lentil flour, anon, anon, and that leads us all to debates about whether bread without gluten is bread at all. Oh, oh, and then there's the carbohydrate scare we're living with, giving us high-protein, low-carbohydrate bread, keto bread, and more. And so when we can stand in front of an entire wall at the grocery store that is stuffed with everything from Wonder Bread to Artisan Asiago or Thyme Rosemary Walnut Chia Seed, we realize that bread is not so simple as it sounds. Give us this day our daily bread. Right smack in the middle of the Lord's Prayer comes this line. And 20 centuries later, we're supposed to just understand what it meant then or what it means today. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, it's easy to assume that this means more than actual pita bread baked in stone ovens or focaccia from AJ's we can assume, and rightfully so, that it says something about the basics that we need to survive. And we're probably right. 
but in ways even more complicated than what I sort of jokingly listed. What has happened to bread as a thing is a pretty good illustration of how complicated it is even to talk about that wider meaning, about our basic needs and what prayer has to do with them. Give us this day our daily bread. If the Lord's Prayer is to be our guide to how we relate to God, it might be worth noticing that words about our needs don't come until we're halfway in. But now, that isn't how we normally approach prayer, isn't it? We usually begin with us, with our need or our desire or our worries. Dear God, help me here or guide me there or tend to what I'm concerned about. To relate to God, we tend to reduce God to our size. But as our Lord teaches us to pray, we're taught to do the opposite of that. We're taught, as we talked about last week, to begin by recognizing that God is who God is. And by acknowledging the difference between heaven and earth, to acknowledge that God moves in the spaces in between, to ask God to enlarge that space and to texture the material things of life with the spiritual, to breathe into our experience and bring it to life in ways that only can be experienced if God breathes into our lives. And then we're taught to bring our needs into that. As your will is being done on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. In this prayer, we can't separate our need from God's will. Ask first who God is and then ask who you are. That's the flow of faith. So we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And the lines evoke other places in Scripture. Remember the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, driven by memories of God liberating them from oppression and promising them a new future, yet still wandering God promises them manna to meet their daily needs. A kind of sticky kind of bread, if you will, that they collect every morning from the ground to eat. Just enough for the day, and then enough for two days, only on the day before the day that they are called to rest. If you go for any more, it will go stale. God says. That's daily bread. And remember Jesus saying just a few verses after he teaches us this prayer in the Gospel of Matthew. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths or corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. 
stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. And remember Jesus also saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The blessings that we're promised are blessings of spirit, not necessarily blessings of body or will or wit or knowledge or family or wealth or things of earth. We're promised peace of mind and an inspired heart and enough to get by. Not long-term security or a life of ease. We're promised the blessings of heaven in all of our experiences of earth. And so we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And the line also evokes a sense of our condition. We strive so hard for a feeling of freedom, don't we? But we really don't know what freedom is. When we pray this prayer, we are saying that we want to be worthy of this prayer. We want to be worthy of a way of life that isn't selfish about today or greedy about today or competitive or anxious or petty about today, but is at home in today, is generous for today, and is willing to leave tomorrow to tomorrow and live for God today. But I do need to say that we misunderstand this verse if we think that it means that we should indulge today with no thought at all of the implications of what we do for tomorrow. That's what we seem to be doing perhaps today in how we use the earth. We owe a future to our children and to their children until the day that Christ comes, which is a day that not one of us knows. So in that sense, God does ask us to think about tomorrow and so walk lightly today. So we can only live faithfully and lightly today if we're free from a feeling that there isn't enough of what we think we need to be happy today or tomorrow. Feeling that there isn't enough leaves us to live in fear and not from faith. The cattle on a thousand hills are the Lord's, the scriptures say. The creator of all that is is a God of abundance and not scarcity. And God's abundance is not extravagance. It is of an abundance of enough, of what we need physically and spiritually. There is enough unless we forget that there is. There is enough unless we get scared. There is enough unless we hoard. There is an abundance 
that frees us from the feeling that we need everything we can get because we can depend only on ourselves. God's abundance frees us to love, dependent on God. And so a life of daily bread is a life of enough. It's a life that breathes in a grace that calms you down and allows you to make choices that are less about what you think you want than about who you're created to be. And it is a life that breathes out a grace that feeds you and feeds the people you meet along the way. That's a very different way of life than just fighting for what's yours. And so we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And so we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And the line also evokes images of feasting and famine, of friendship and loneliness, and of the way the world works. Like last week, when we prayed for God's kingdom, we actually can't pray this line of this prayer about bread without thinking about the world, politics and all. For just as the father of this our father is not yours but is ours, so the us of this appeal for daily bread is not for you or me individually. It is for us together. I'm not praying, give me bread. I'm praying, give us bread. Every time you pray this prayer, you are putting a stake in the ground of a tent that is meant to cover all people. My maternal grandfather, or at least the grandfather I knew, was a dear and faithful man. He was the third of three husbands that my maternal grandmother buried in her long life, sufficient for each day. I've spoken of him before from this pulpit when I said that being a Presbyterian deacon and elder was the genuine pride of his life. And that being a deacon, serving others, was dearer to him than being an elder. He was a man who knew the meaning of daily bread. I have a framed print of a photo that he brought into the modest apartment that he and my grandmother shared. You might have seen that photo yourself somewhere. It's of an old man sitting at a table, humbly praying a blessing over a small loaf of bread, a bowl of soup, and a Bible, blessing a modest meal with gratitude. It's a photo that was taken by Eric Engstrom in 1918, and it is called Daily Bread. That image has stayed with me since my childhood as an image of how to pray this prayer. And it is a dear image for which I'm grateful. And I know it has inspired others who've seen it. But I've also learned over the years 
that there is a different image of grace that comes alongside that one that is worth drawing from this prayer that the Lord teaches us. And that is the image not of one person, but of many people together, feasting together, listening and speaking and loving and forgiving and encouraging and serving together, of people learning gratitude, not as a feeling we get when we compare ourselves to people who might have less than us, or a feeling that we have when we look at our own plate, but gratitude as a way of life that we practice with other people, generously sharing what we've been given in a spirit of abundance and joy and compassion and obligation. For you see, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're saying that our prayer is not fulfilled if there is anyone hungry or anyone alone or anyone at war. We're saying that our prayer is not fulfilled if a feeling of scarcity keeps us from sharing or if practices or policies or traditions or systems or fears or suspicions or hurts or desires for revenge or some need to protect our own because we don't have confidence in tomorrow keeps us from doing God's will. And we're saying that our prayer is not fulfilled until we all eat together in grace and in abundance and without fear for tomorrow. This is a prayer for a kind of bread that no one earns. It is a prayer that says this, give us all, even today, our daily bread as a gift, unmerited, simply because we are yours and because some of us have already prayed, your kingdom come. This is a prayer for all creation. So what is our daily bread? It's giving God our todays as well as our tomorrows and reaching out. It's our manna in the wilderness. It is Christ's body broken for us. It is a call as well as a gift. It is all we need. And it is what this prayer will teach us. Let's bake some of that bread. Amen. Next week, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us.